0: It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Fersner, and today I am joined by my colleagues, Kristen and Sarah. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hey, Carrie. All right. So today we are going to be busting a few myths about personalized competency-based learning, and we're going to focus around myths that educators might have, and so we've gleaned a couple questions that we've heard in the field, and hopefully you can walk away from this episode with some refreshed understanding about what PCBL looks like in South Carolina. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the conversation, starting with our first question that I'll kick to you, Sarah. Sarah is personalized learning just a new word for differentiation
1: such a good one we hear this one a lot um so the way that that i know that we framed it within our office and as coaches is that differentiation is on the pathway to personalizing. So so it's definitely kind of part of that spectrum, but it is not the same thing. And I would say that the, the part that pivots it, that changes it from differentiation to personalization, is who's really doing most of the work. Um, that student ownership piece, which is the center of, of everything that we do um, within our office, really makes that difference. So from my own personal experience as a classroom teacher, which was that long ago, um, I differentiated like a pro. I put the kids in the groups. I did all of the assessing. I made sure that um, you know their their small group lessons met their needs. And it was me, 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 me. And I would leave at the end of the day. My brain absolutely tapped out as far as energy. I was exhausted, and my first graders just skipped out of school. You know, with all this energy, off the go. Um, and so that's that's <laughs> a bad thing. But with personalization, we're putting a lot of the the onus of the work on kids. And they can handle it and they can do amazing things with it. So not saying that you can't still differentiate, but that student ownership piece makes it to where I'm not the one holding all that information around your assessment, your progress, uh, what works well for you as a student the students are the ones that have that, that um, information as well. So we talk a lot about transparency um, and that probably being another difference between differentiation and personalization where that, that curtain, I call it like the um, Wizard of Oz, the wizard behind the curtain, the teacher's back there with all this information and all the stuff that she's got and she's going to use. Um, that curtain's gone and, and the child gets to see, oh, this is how you make these instructional decisions for me. And I can make these instructional decisions for myself, too. I can show you how I want to master this information. I can choose the ways that I'm going to access and engage with this content. Um, So that being the main difference, there can still be small group instruction and personalization. Um, You know, that doesn't go away. But again, the the kids really own why they're doing what they're doing and how they're going to show that they've learned it. That's how I would say they're different.
0: Thank you for articulating that difference because that is a question we get a lot. All right, on to our next question. So, Kristen, this one's for you. When you're personalizing learning for students, does that mean that each and every single student in your class is doing something different all the time?
2: That's a good one. That's a big misconception. Um, But no, not necessarily. It does not mean that you have to have 25 different lesson plans and that the kids are in all different places at all times. Um, What we like to say is we want our students to be able to make informed decisions, just like Sarah was talking about with student ownership. And so the teachers and students can work as partners and use uh, data such as pre-assessments or formative checkpoints to figure out which pathway the students need to go on. And a lot of times those pathways intersect. And so again, it's not lots and lots of different um, lesson plans. If you are familiar with workshop style, um, as far as a a, a way to frame your classroom structure, a lot of times we we say that a mini lesson is totally appropriate um, in the beginning. So that way all students are exposed to the Appropriate level of rigor according to the standards, but then during that work time, that's when you start figuring out: okay, who needs what? Which small groups do I need to pull? And how are my students advocating for themselves as they're making those choices? Are they able to sign up for different conferences? Are they able to say, "I need a small group lesson on this"? Are they making a choice about rewatching a pre-recorded uh, video that a teacher's done? Um, uh, you know, teaching them how to do a particular skill. So while there are um, opportunities for students to do different things. a lot of times um, you can think of your students when you think about that pre-assessment, you know that there are going to be students who are generally you know on target, some that are exceeding and some that are needing a little more support. And so not that they'll always remain in those stagnant buckets, um, but it's a way to help organize and help the students understand where they are um, going back to that transparency piece. And so while it does seem um, super daunting if you are if you are not used to doing, uh, lots of different, you know, management of different things that students are doing, it does not mean that you are doing 25 different things for 25 different kids all of the time.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And that kind of reminds me of something else that our office always loves to say, which is when you're approaching this work, you want to think big, start small, and scale fast. So even starting small when it comes to this, um, to this work is, is super key. Thank you for sharing that, Kristen. All right. So, Sarah, when we're talking about learner pathways, are we automatically assuming that learner pathways equals choice boards?
1: So, Carrie, you just talked about the importance of starting small and uh, scaling fast. And a lot of the times the teachers within our schools start with choice boards as their way to start small, which is always great. Um, It's exciting because it's for a lot of teachers, it's their first time of giving kids choice. Um, and and kind of letting go a little bit of that um, teacher mentality of having to have you know that control over everything. And I say that honestly because. I was one of those teachers. I wanted that control. So it's not like I'm saying you guys are like I was that same kind of teacher. Um, So choice boards have that, you know, a lot of them have that flexibility of pace and activities, which is what we want in a learning pathway. Um, I've seen choice boards that have different instructional strategies where kids may listen to a video or they might have to read something. So trying different instructional strategies and it incorporates, you know, student voice as well because they're letting, you know, the, the students choose what they want to learn. The difference comes when, if we're looking at our framework and we are looking at learning pathways and it talks about leading with transparency where the learners enter a progression of learning based on pre-assessed readiness levels. That's typically where I see it tweak from a choice board mm-hmm. to a pathway. Um, so the, the pathways are really determined on where is a child entering that learning? Um, Not saying that choice board can't do that, but the ones that I've typically seen aren't necessarily geared to that. Um, So a child might maybe choosing what they wanna do based on preference or interest or what engages them, which are all still part of a pathway, but that missing element is where in this learning am I coming in? And am I making an informed choice based on that data too? So it's kind of a both and. I have the student voice and the student choice. The stuff that interests me is going to drive my choices within this board. And if I'm learning about how to write main idea and I know in the progression of being able to write main idea, I'm here and these are the skills I'm missing, Mm -hmm. is that informing my choice on this choice board as well. So I think that that's the main difference. They, they still can provide choice boards and pathways, can provide multiple opportunities for kids to demonstrate evidence of their learning. But that difference really is, are these choices aligned to different levels within a progression of learning for a child to really master a certain skill?
0: So what we're saying is pretty much that choice boards are a great start when it comes to Um, initially dipping your toes into giving choice to students, but the more we can provide opportunities where students are having meaningful choice and informed choice, that makes their learning experience even more enriched. For sure. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. All right. So Kristen, we're kicking it back to you. Our next question is, okay, if we're being flexible with pace for students, right? We're letting them move at their own pace through um, materials, through activities, does that mean that they get to take as long as they want to take on a skill?
2: That's a good question, Carrie. So I know our office talks a lot about uh, flexibility within fences because we don't have all of the time in the world, but we also know, just like Sarah said, students are entering the progression of learning at very different points. And so we don't wanna assume that they're all going to be at the same place at the same time doing the same thing. And so that flexibility within fencing um, gives you the idea that, um, for example, if a teacher is creating a unit, they can think about um, within that unit, what flexibility is there? And for example, one possibility is thinking about at the very end with the summative, maybe there's a window that you can give students for when they can choose to take their summative assessment over the course of maybe three to four days. So the ones that are ready can take it on that first day. And the ones who need a little bit more support and a little bit more you know, ability to ask questions and conference with the teacher, they can have a few more days to get to that point. But then at the end, that's, their, that's at least their point to check their mastery. Um, also within the unit, thinking about the flexibility and the timing when students are asked to formatively check in, whether that's through a conference and exit slip and so forth, doesn't necessarily mean that all needs to happen at the same time for different kids. And so thinking about what wiggle room do I have within my unit to provide students the opportunity to assess when they're ready or or sign up for a conference um, if they think they're ready to show me what they can, you know, what they know and can do. Um, And that being said, I know we still sometimes have students, uh, you know, let's say within a given period of time for a unit of study that still don't quite demonstrate mastery. Well, the one great thing about um, learning is that a lot of times it spirals. And so let's say in unit one, the student doesn't quite demonstrate mastery, but they've at least, you know, shown what they can do so far. And then maybe down in another unit, a student is using those same skills, then they could try and show mastery at that point and then be able to showcase that they have actually gained it. They just needed a little more time and it, you know, a different point in the year um, and we're able to master it. So flexible pacing, we definitely want to have a, a flexible mindset um, and be thinking about different ways uh, that are within our sphere of you know, control or sphere of influence within our classroom or within our, you know, PLC or our school and and use those ideas to make small tweaks where we can and, and operate within those fences. Love it. Thank you so much, Kristen.
0: All right, Sarah, we're kicking it back to you with our next question. So there are a lot of educators who may assume that when we're talking about personalizing learning, that automatically means that you have to use technology or It means that if I'm using technology, i.e. a program, a software, IXL, etc., etc., then that automatically means I'm personalizing learning for students. So what are your thoughts on this?
1: So I think that goes back to the wide variety of definitions you can have if you were to Google personalized learning. So I'm coming from this, from our South Carolina definition of what that is. So while this may differ in other parts of the country or the world, for us, you can personalize learning with or without technology because the way that we define it is it's, it's student ownership at the core. And then the way that we get to that is through competency-based learning, our learner profiles, a flexible environment, And having those pathways. So it really is. And and I talk a lot with technology coaches, and I know a lot of us do too, right? And technology coaches typically know this. They're like, it's not about the tool, it's about what's behind that tool. So, you know, you can have a school or a district that is one to one Chromebook usage. And I can walk into that classroom with every single child on a Chromebook and have absolutely no personalization going because the children don't have any ownership over what they're doing. Um, and then the flip is true as well. I can walk into a classroom with absolutely zero technology. And I've had plenty of classrooms like this. And it is high levels of personalization within that classroom. So I think it if we just go back even if you're bringing up, you know, a program like IXL and things like that The tool itself is not personalization. What are you doing with that tool? Does a child know their goal in IXL? Um, So is that transparency there? And then, and I know IXL will work you through, but is the child able to look at their own progression of learning and able to track it and speak to it? Um, So it really is more about what is the learner doing with whatever that technology tool is and less about the technology piece. Now, I will add an addendum that just this past week, I think it was, yeah, this first week in March, Pam Hubler, hey Pam, if you're listening, from Berkeley County, she hosted um, our South Carolina ASCD chapters Twitter chat on technology and personalization. And it was fabulous. Hmm. So if you're someone who's on Twitter, um, search either the hashtag um, love SC schools, or look at Pam's Twitter at special techie. And she has compiled amazing resources that fit with our framework that say, okay, so if you're working on pathways, here's some great technology tools that can help you achieve this. So that's another little extra resource for anybody out there listening who, who, If you're interested in how technology can fit in, but still really adhere to our framework, um, that's a great one.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for sharing that Twitter resource. I'm sure our listeners will definitely take advantage of that.
2: Hey, educators we know you all are working hard day in and day out to meet all your students needs the SCDE office of personalized learning wants to celebrate you and the work you're doing we want to help tell your stories share your processes and the artifacts you create as you work to put students at the center of their own learning but we can't do it without you so send us your celebrations stories processes or artifacts to personalized learning at Sc.gov, tag us on Twitter at sc, or reach out to your Office of Personalized Learning Regional Coach at PersonalizeSC.ED.SC.gov. We can't wait to see what you send our way.
0: So now we're going to move to our next question. Kristen, this one's for you. So sometimes in our work, um, when we're talking about personalizing student learning, and then we're also, um, in a lot of ways, introducing the profile of the South Carolina graduate competencies, sometimes we get the question of whether or not my focus should just be on personalizing learning, or my focus should just be on the profile of the South Carolina graduate competencies and how to use that. So is using the competencies or personalizing
2: student learning
0: an either or thing?
2: That's a really good question, Carrie. Um, And so I guess I would go back to our framework first and start by saying that, you know, part of the the, description in our SCPCBL framework is that you need to have competency-based learning as a part of your your system um, that is personalizing learning for students. So it's definitely not an either or. Um, What I would say is that just like students have different entry points when they come into their work, educators are learners too. And so they have entry points um, that they are gonna come in. And so, as you said earlier, with, idea, with that idea of think big, start small and scale you know, fast, one, one educator might decide they want to start with the student ownership portion of our framework. Another one might want to start with learning pathways or another one might want to start with competency-based learning. So there is sort of um, a decision that t- educators can make as far as an entry point, but it's definitely not an either or. The profile of the South Carolina graduate competencies can be used to enhance some of those other pieces that are in our framework. For example, if you're trying to increase student ownership in your classroom, those competencies bring a level of of transparency to the world-class skills and life and career characteristics that are, are they're already created. And so instead of teachers trying to figure out how to make that profile actionable, they can use the competencies as a way to help students define and measure their, their ability to you know, practice some of those skills, uh, whether it has to do with learning independently or reading critically or using sources and so forth. And those competencies can also help design pathways when students are co-designing with their teachers and they're trying to determine what uh, experiences that they need to have, they can use some of the levels uh, that are in the descriptors of each of the skills and the competencies to help design learning experiences that will help them increase you know, wherever they are in their, in their skill development. And then, when you think about learner profiles, those competencies would be a great way for students to sort of capture, like, where am I right now when it comes to my ability to, um, you know, participate in a community and as far as engaging as a citizen. So, the competencies and um, personalized learning is definitely not an either-or. It's more like, how can the tool that you know we call our profile of the South Carolina graduate competencies help us do some of those things? Um, and since they're already created. It's it's a lot easier than having to start from scratch, and so they can work in, in a partnership.
0: Awesome, awesome! If you're listening and this is your first time ever hearing about the profile of the South Carolina Graduate Competencies, we really want you to take a look at them, and you can do so by clicking the link in the description box of this episode. All right, ladies, we are down to our last question. So, is it possible to personalize learning for students, even if as a teacher I have to stick to a curriculum that has been given to me by my school or district. This is a question that we've um, gotten several times um, from folks in districts who have curriculums like Lucy Calkins or and Wisdom and feel very tied to a curriculum, so much so that they don't know if they can personalize learning for students. So what do you think about this?
1: So, I will come from this from the stance of an instructional coach. And Kristen's probably thinking of this as well. We probably both have had experiences where we were um, given the responsibility of helping a school start with a new curriculum. Um, so, if you're a coach that's listening to this, we know that reality. And that kind of middleman position can be really hard, or middlewoman position can be, can be hard. Um, because when you invest money in a curriculum as a school or as a district, you want to implement that curriculum with fidelity for at least the first year or two to really see what can it do, right? So, so a lot of that pressure I feel like comes with that is, is we want it to be implemented with fidelity. Is this what our students need and our teachers need? So recognizing that as a reality that we are all living with, personalized learning is not the, well, or we can do this. It is more of the, We can do this and we can personalize at the same time. And I think, again, if we look at our framework and knowing that student ownership, again, student ownership is the the key to all of it. Those puddles around it, are just some of the ways that our framework says this is how the rubber can hit the road. It is not the only ways that the rubber can hit the road when you're personalizing learning. So um, I was a, a teacher of Lucy Calkins. I helped train people in Lucy Calkins and I could very easily see how I can implement Lucy Calkins with fidelity and personalize for my students. Because if I'm conferring with a child during independent reading time and I'm leaving them with a sticky note, of their, that are agreed upon goal that they're going to work on the next time that we confer. I have just hit goal setting, transparency with a student and them monitoring their own progression of learning in one conference. That is personalizing learning. So instead of thinking like it's either this or that, um, I like to think of it as both and.
0: Thanks, Sarah.
2: What do you think, Kristen? Do you have anything else to add? I think I would just, you know, reiterate what Sarah said about that whole idea of, you know, the the need to um, adopt um, before we adapt a curriculum, but also knowing what's within our sphere of influence within um, within a classroom as I'm implementing that. That curriculum can be a really strong guide, and then I can make small decisions as I am using the curriculum um, and adapt a uh, things for my students as I'm going and making my students aware of why we're adapting it and, and empowering them to, you know, maybe advocate for themselves and ask how things can be um, adapted as we're going through the curriculum. So um, still going back to that, like bigger idea of flexibility within fences. If that's a fence that you have, what are some ways that I can be transparent with my kids and shift ownership within that curriculum? Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, ladies, so much for this conversation. And if uh, any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or follow you um, and your journey as you coach this work across the state, what are some ways that they can get in touch with you?
1: So I'm sure that Carrie will put our email within the, the description for this. And then as evidenced by my answer to one of these questions, I'm a tweeter. A professional okay. tweeter. So if you find me on um, on Twitter at DocBooey1, and it's one because my sister, who is also a doctor, but like in a different field, took DocBooey. Oh, no. So now I had to add a one to the end of mine. <laughs> <laughs> she owns at DocBooey. So add that one at the end. Otherwise, you'll be tweeting my sister um, and not me.
0: Oh my <laughs> goodness. What a coincidence. That is so funny. Kristen, what about you?
2: My uh, Twitter uh, handle is at Keith's 727 and you can find me there. And like Sarah said, you'll see the email in the description.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you ladies again so much for joining me. We'll be right back to close things out. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!